0: So hello and welcome to the Clinical Audit and Improvement podcast from AMAT, the audit management and tracking tool developed in partnership with our users. My name's Don Conlon and in this episode I'm going to be learning about improving patient support after a diagnosis of bladder cancer. Today's guests are all from East Kent Hospital's University NHS Foundation Trust. I have with me Palab Kumar Sarkar, who's a urology registrar based in Kent and Canterbury Hospital, as is his colleague Rusram Karanja. I've also got with me Hannah Waugh, who's a medical secretary in urology with a background in hospice and palliative care. And as a special relevance to this episode, I'm also going to mention that once a week Hannah does a shift at Pilgrims, where she she supports patients and their families going through terminal illness. So welcome to every one of you, and thank you for joining me today. Now, recent episodes have focused on various urology issues, and each one of them has shown how audit and quality uh, improvement make a difference to improve patient outcomes, and the patient experience. It strikes me to, from doing this and learning um, with all of you uh, includes is really central to everything in healthcare. So I think, Hannah, it's only right that we begin with you. Your experience with bladder cancer is really personal. I- wonder whether you'd mind telling us all about it please
1: yeah of course so um hi everyone i'm hannah um i am unfortunately have a very close connection to bladder cancer never thought i would but it is the way it is um in may this year my dad got diagnosed with stage three muscle invasive bladder cancer um again like I've said, it, it it's a really surreal situation because you 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 don't believe what's going on and how it's how it's happening. So just to give a bit of background, my dad basically had two episodes of visible hematuria in his urine. Uh, both after both episodes were after um, having gone for a run. And he, the first time he had it, he didn't really think anything of it. And then when it happened again two days later, he thought, oh, something's not right here. So... Bless him, he went to the GP, um, got a couple of urine samples done, and they noticed that there was actually a lot of blood that was non-visible in his urine samples. So they sent him on the two-week wait pathway to Bournemouth Hospital, where they both, where both my mum and dad live. They live in Bournemouth. Um, so that's their local NHS trust. And within two weeks, and I'm saying within two weeks because they've just been absolutely excellent they've made sure that you know everything's followed through as it should do um he was given a flexible cystoscopy where um yeah he came face to face with the the demon which is the tumor and it was six to seven centimeters with a couple of other tumors that are uh, were classed as lesions i don't think they'd grown quite into tumors yet but they'd obviously wanted to make sure that they were being monitored as well. So after his flexi, he was basically told that he'd need to have a TURBT to have the tumours removed. Um, Obviously, we thought once he had that done, that would be you know the tumour's gone and that could be possibly the end of the process how wrong we were you know he had the TURBT and was told that they couldn't actually remove much of the tumour because of how firm it was and it had basically caused quite a lot of damage to the muscle side of his bladder but it's weird because he never had really any symptoms never had any pain um, and yeah, basically... Sorry, Hannah,
2: just to interject, um, just for our listeners, what is a TURBT?
1: So it is a, um operation to basically go into the bladder to try and remove a sample of the tumour to be able to be sent off for biopsy. Um, I think a lot of people have them done. I'm not sure on the process as such, because obviously I'm just talking from my dad's point of view. And the couple of consultants that I work for here at and Canterbury, they don't actually specialize in bladder cancer as such so it is something that I'm still coming to terms with and learning what, what it's all about really uh, but it is just a procedure to basically look into the bladder to remove a sample of the tumor to basically either cure someone if the tumor is not that big or to basically take a portion of it away to then send off so that they can obviously look at the histology behind what the tumor is um, but yes, yeah, so basically, the, the short answer is that dad was basically on the 4th of May was diagnosed with grade three, stage three, muscle invasive bladder cancer, um, and was told that he would be starting chemotherapy within a couple of weeks, which again, that was straight away how it worked. We were given um, the opportunity to basically go into his oncology appointments with him, And um, it was all really surreal. I found it very, very upsetting. And I mean, from a medical secretary's perspective, obviously, I'm talking to patients all the time. And from the hospice side of things. But when it's your own family member, my gosh, you don't realise how much it will affect you. And I found it personally really, really difficult. I was very, very distraught. I ended up having, having to actually leave the meeting because I just could not compose myself. And I think... When my dad's sitting there being told his diagnosis, you don't really want somebody snivelling in the corner, no matter whether they're your daughter or not. So for me, it was about leaving and giving my mum and dad that opportunity to kind of be told the news. And then later on, the CNS like took me into a private room and had that conversation with me. And I've never experienced such brilliant... I mean, again, you don't really ever think you're going to have to experience a conversation about your loved one having cancer. But unfortunately, it, it probably will happen to all of us at some point in our lifetime. You know, one in two people are diagnosed with cancer, and that's a scary statistic. Um, but, you know, for me... The, the excellent service, the the ability that my dad has just finished chemotherapy, and that's one that's one part of the journey um, ticked off. And now we're going on to him. He's had a PET scan, and they basically said that there's no sign of the cancer metastasizing. So there's no spread for anybody who kind of wants the, the medical terminology in this. Um, yeah. There's no spread. Um, it has... Stayed within the bladder as much as it's muscle invasive. Obviously, it's scary, but the the chemotherapy has obviously kept the cancer from spreading at bay. Um, And the next step is to um, basically—he's got an oncology appointment next week, and then we'll go from there. And I think he's got planned surgery for a cystectomy, which is a a bladder removal, at the end of September. So yeah, I mean, it's all very Mm -hmm. surreal. It's a huge roller coaster that we're all on but i think my message to anybody is that you never think you're going to go through it but at the end of the day the way the medical world is at the moment and will continue to be there is so much support out there and i think you know if you reach out and you get the right resources it's something that you can come to terms with i mean i've had to learn that so yeah that's 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 basically my part of this
0: you know this question, really? So, yeah, thank you. No, no, thanks. No, thanks for that, Hannah. Palab, how common is is bladder cancer in the UK?
3: Hi, uh, hi, I am Palab, one of the urology registrar working in East Kent University Hospital. Uh, yeah, we are actually talking of about one of the most common cancer in the world. It's tenth most common cancer um, in the world, and if we take uh, some statistics, if we take every hundred um, thousand population. Um, it happens in pretty much every nine person. So it's it's, it's quite common and um, it's very easy to get missed. Uh, that's why you should be a bit more proactive. Uh, as Hannah said, in her dad's case, one spot of blood in the urine. Uh, it's good that he went to see the GP, but Still, there are a lot of, a good number of population who sometimes ignore it. Uh, they think it could be, it's mainly because I think um, many of our pop- patient population group is from age where many times they feel like they can see all locations of blood in the urine uh, and they ignore it. But yes, it is, it is, as I said, it's a very common cancer and one of the most common urological
2: cancer.
0: And and how treatable is it, Rustam, Do you want to to kind of like talk about that, perhaps?
2: Yeah. So it's um, it really depends on everything, kind of what Hannah said as well. So I suppose the first yeah. uh, from diagnosis, which is usually made um, with a camera test with the flexible cystoscopy, when we look inside the bladder. Um, after that, you can sort of gauge how big it is. If it has any components to it that look solid or looks like it's invading deeper inside the bladder, but really the the mainstay of treatment will be based on after um the t u r b t which Hannah was mentioning before, which is um it stands for transuretal resection of the bladder tumor. and it's a Thanks. it's a procedure where we look inside the bladder with a kind of more rigid metal instrument, which is why patients are asleep and what you're doing there at that time is you're you're scraping away. Um, the area that looks abnormal and just making sure it all goes. And what you're also trying to do is just you're trying to stage the tumor. And by that is by that, I mean, is is it going into the muscle, which is slightly deeper? Or is it a more of what we call a superficial um, bladder cancer? And once you have those results in the lab and combined with the imaging that people have, so they usually have a, a CT scan that looks at the upper part of the kidneys as well then you can make plans about about treating um, the bladder cancer with various different ways. Now, if it's more more deeper into the muscle, which is in Hannah's father's experience, you may need more aggressive therapies such as radiotherapy or uh, chemotherapy, or even a cystectomy, but the more superficial ones can be treated um, with chemotherapies inside the bladder, or just simply with monitoring with camera tests um, at sequential points along patient's journey but I think that really the whole point about treatments that we've just heard from Hannah I think really quite eloquently is that it's not a bladder cancer is not a one-stop clinic it's not a you see it you get rid of it that's it you forget about it it is a journey and that everyone's journey will be slightly different but it's that ongoing support that patients need going forward I think that really impacts upon their journey for treatment of bladder cancer.
0: So that, that's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, that kind of, um, support there. And as Hannah, um, mentioned about her own experience and having to step out of the room and letting her parents kind of discuss this as well and deal with it in theirs. This is gonna, I mean, this is, and I, and I know from personal experience of cancer in, in my family that this, this, this is a disease that absolutely can rock your, your, your life completely. Um, how how does it affect you i mean could you tell us perhaps anna about how it's affected you from just from day to day as i say you, you as you said you your experience with this you deal with this regularly but from a personal point of view it must have affected your life and also how's it affected uh, your parents?
1: Yeah I think for me um, you know I I thought I was prepared you know you always think that you're going to be you know prepared in any in any sense because of the nature of what we do and the conversations I have on a daily basis with patients in the NHS and, and in the hospice but actually when it's your own family um, I guess it sounds really morbid but the first thing you think of is is this person gonna die am I gonna lose a loved one um and it sounds really naive because deep down you know that actually with the way medicine is nowadays there's so many treatments out there that can be so effective at prolonging somebody's life but in that moment you kind of it kind of flashes before you and you think god life's really short I mean my dad's only 61 Um, and he was, you know, it was just after his 61st birthday that he got diagnosed with this. And for someone so fit and healthy, I mean, he's a runner, he eats healthy, he doesn't really drink much, maybe just a couple of glasses of wine at the weekend. Um, You know, he was fit for his job because he was, he basically is an engineer, so he's installing things, he's having to climb in and out of people's loft conversions and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, you, you look at life and you think, actually, you know, You've got to enjoy it because you just never know what's around the corner. Um And for me, it rocked me in a way that I never realised it would. I mean, there's days where I... I really struggle and I still come to work because, you know, there's no good sitting at home and, you know, kind of drowning your sorrows that way. I actually find it incredibly rewarding coming to work, knowing that I'm talking to people who are probably going through a very similar experience to what my dad is at the moment and actually being able to offer support. I mean, I'll have so many conversations with patients and I'll say I completely get it. And when I say that, I say I actually do get it because this is my own experience on what I'm going through currently. Um, and, you know, as soon as you say that to someone and you put yourself in that person's shoes and they then know that you're going through it, the connection that you have with people is very, actually very special. Um, yeah. And I think you can offer so much support to people, you know, and I could, I mean, I've got a background in palliative care with the hospice. I've been working in the hospice environment, volunteering for five nearly six years um I lost both my grandparents on my my dad's side within the hospice environment and the care and the you know the care not just for the patient but for the family was just incredible um but yeah, I just think it's 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 a really hard one to describe. I mean, nobody knows what it's truly like for somebody going through it because it's somebody's personal journey and everybody deals with these things differently, and you find coping mechanisms, you find ways to to come to terms with it in your own time. And there's days where I, I really struggle because they don't live near me. They're in Bournemouth, it's a good two and a half, three hours away, so I'm kind of spending my time in Kent and down there with them but the knowing that I've got the care from here as well the doctors the consultants everyone's just been exceptionally understanding and caring and it has made the experience a lot more easier in that in that respect so I feel very lucky as much as it's it's a horrible situation to be in I do feel very very lucky and actually very blessed to be in an environment like the NHS when you're going through something like this because you're with like-minded people people understand so, yeah. yeah,
0: I mean, obviously, you've got a level of empathy there that is is greater than than most of us will have. And I've got um, nurses in my family, but when it comes to the personal, you you turn to them, but they're they're also you know they become patients, they become relatives of patients, and so on. So it does change that kind of thing. But obviously, for the for the wider NHS and and for for your trust in particular. The support system can't just rely on, you know, one, uh, one secretary having, having gone through the experience or one nurse having gone through the experience or whatever. So what kind of systems are there to support you? What systems have you been able to draw upon down in Bournemouth that's helped the? all of your, your family yeah
1: so we're part of um luckily you know the way you know things are nowadays with social media i um did quite a lot of research into support groups and we found a support group through fight bladder cancer and um, which is a charity that was actually set up by somebody who was experiencing bladder cancer at the time and unfortunately has passed away now um, because of you know I think his was stage three stage four muscle invasive, again, it's very similar to my dad, so again, you know when you when you're looking at that, you think, my gosh, but I think you know yeah, this was a long time ago, and since then you know medications treatments they've moved they've moved forward with the times um yeah, we're part of a support group where obviously a lot of people are putting posts up daily saying about their own personal journeys their own experiences um and I found it found that very very beneficial and I actually got my dad into it I mean it took a while for my dad to come to terms with obviously the news so he was very at the time he was very you know just wanted to kind of deal with it in his own way, especially being a man. Men deal with things differently. They're not as open. I'm very open as you can probably tell. Um yeah. and I had to kind of bring that openness out of him and say, look, there are so many ways that we can deal with this when you're ready. I mean I always added when you're ready because you don't want to push somebody. Everybody deals with things differently. Um and yeah, the support group has been really, really good. He's actually met a guy that lives down in Weymouth who's just about about six weeks, eight weeks ago, had a cystectomy himself. And he's also a runner. Um, and he had exactly the same um, diagnosis as my dad. Um, and has actually been given the all clear and will obviously be kept under surveillance. You know, I think it's five years, obviously. And then you're, you're basically clusters as in remission. Um, I think yeah. that's still the way it works um obviously you know you meet people who are going through similar experiences and until you know somebody else who's going through it it, it's so beneficial for the patient because nobody else will understand you know you you can say that you understand but actually deep down you can only be there to kind of listen to what they feel and what they say you can't personally think okay yeah I completely get it because you're not the one going through it so that's been really really good and I think things like that are so beneficial bringing people together having like a group and a community of people who are going through similar diagnosis it makes you feel like you're not alone Because I think a lot of people will feel feel alone going through it. It's a very scary, traumatic, stressful, you know, it's a stressful time for people. And I think if you know other people going through it, it it can help to carry you in your darkest moments with it. So, yeah, support groups, um, things like that, they're just so beneficial. And obviously a lot of them run through charities, so it relies on people doing fundraising. And I've actually... You know, I will will say it now. I've recently just raised over three thousand pounds for bladder cancer by doing I'm doing a um twenty six mile yeah. walk in a couple of weeks with my partner in London overnight. It's the Shine Walk and we're raising money for bladder cancer again. Um and I think, you know, when you hear the stories from the charity saying you've made you this money will enable so much more research so much more um, ability to get patients seen quicker the screening times for bladder cancer and the ability to obviously give people what they need during that really difficult time I've turned it on its head, really, and kind of gone, do you know what, the way I'm going to cope with this is by helping other people, but that's just the way I am. I mean, that's why I enjoy work. I enjoy coming to work because I'm talking to people and I'm able to yeah. kind of go, do you know what, I get it, I understand. So, yeah, for me, charity work's been a real big help during my my experience with it because you just never know when you're going to need the help yourself. We never, we never thought we were going to need yeah. it, and we do. So, yeah, yeah. anything? Absolutely. Fantastic,
0: yeah. Paolo Barusum, I wonder if you could um, come at it from your your perspective here.
2: I think uh, Hannah is, basically. I think it's really interesting to hear have heard Hannah's story over the last few weeks and months. Um, just purely because we see it from such different perspective as clinicians, we we see the patient or see the person. You know, maybe you should say. For a few moments in their journey and you see them when you give them the diagnosis you might see them after you've done the original two RBT. you may see them in clinic but you get such a small snapshot of of what they're going through and you often have to remember that you know this is their moment of contact with you uh during their journey and they really do they obviously listen to everything you say very intently and hang off your every word and it's all about the holistic side of number one you need to be Uh, giving the right treatment and the right support and advice for them as well but also it's about supporting them in that journey and um, listening to hannah's experience in bournemouth has really i think uh, made Palab and i both think about the support that we offer people here at east kent because it sounds like an excellent job's been done down there and we do have some great resources here in east kent with information our cns team um, who aren't with us they are absolutely fantastic in in managing uh, patients and their ongoing care but I think Palab had a, a couple of ideas also about how we could increase the support that we have for patients here and I sorry I'll let Palab go
3: no 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 that's fine on. You you uh, I,
2: I was just going to say um one thing I thought that I didn't know about even was the um, support bladder cancer UK that Hannah's um been using online and I think those online resources are really really helpful but just getting people together for their comp- you know, to see someone else who's going through the same thing that they are and also probably talk about some of the things that they don't want to talk about with us or they might find embarrassing or all those other things is just uh, probably extremely helpful. And, you know, many people deal with it in terms of families and relatives in different ways. And Hannah's been a real go getter when she's not laughing shrilly in the office, <laughs> then, uh, you know, she's out and about. Um, raising money and doing so many different things, and that's that's her way of coping. And you know that's it's really amazing. But I'll, I'll hand over to Palab, who's had a couple of thoughts about what else we can do.
0: Fantastic, say. thanks, thanks,
2: Rostom. Uh, to continue with what my colleague said, um, yeah, I
3: actually didn't know about this uh, online support group. I just came to know about this support group when we were uh, talking about these um, um, these podcasts. So uh, regarding, obviously. Facebook support group or online support group, uh, if we can carry on or if we come to uh, organizational support group in our trust, uh, we got excellent CNS team because what I think or what I see for a patient when he comes to us uh, in a room, we have a discussion. I believe their journey actually starts the moment they leave their consultation room, not when they come into the consultation room. Because when they come to our room, they have lot of expectation, anxiety, they don't exactly know. And obviously, I believe it's a human nature. They will always think something good will probably come up. It may not be the C word or cancer. But by the time they come to Rome, room and we show them uh, or we break the news like, yes, you have most likely got cancer. Uh, I believe that's where their journey starts as a patient. Um, and we We do not spend that much time with them. Most of the time, we are also stressed. We get 20 minutes, 25 minutes time. And in this time period, we see them, examine them, break the news, give the plan, and pretty much that's it. And after that, this patient may not see the same doctor again, the way NHS is set up. He may not see the same doctor again. Um, And in this small span of time period, we have to... Keep ourselves composed. We have to be sympathetic. We have to be empathetic. And we also have to be a clinician. And doing all this stuff, sometimes it's very easy to forget or not realize that uh, this person sitting in front of me is not a patient only, he's a human too. So yeah. by the time he leaves the room, obviously, I am sure many of the patients, their whole world is probably shattered because they just came to know that they got cancer, depending on the degree of severity. I'm sure even if we say like, we don't know how long you're going to live or whether it's curative or not possible, they pretty much picture their whole life in front of them, uh, their personal life, family, children, friends social circle i'm sure all this comes as a flashback in front of them and then they go home so that's where uh, that's where i believe we still need to improve there are a lot of stops or resources available in paper or uh, in system but in many times they don't translate into practical scenario regarding their emotional well-being, social well-being. So in our hospital, I believe, uh, and I can certify that we have got excellent CNS who are actually specialist nurses. They usually try to fill the gap between the physician or urologist and the patient. Uh, They also have their clinical knowledge and they mix it up with their personal touch and that I believe would be really helpful. We have done uh, this clinical forum for a few other cancers, especially prostate cancer, where we bring the patients for prostate cancer who are going to be operated. Um, and we bring all the patients together, one of our specialist nurses sit there, we pretty much uh, give them a presentation of how their journey would be, what would be the operation or other treatment options what could be possible complications, how you would feel, how our other patient felt, how they behaved. So we bring all those patients together. Uh, we give them a session of an hour or two. And obviously, as I said, there's a clinical nurse present. So that person can give answer to clinical questions, give answer to the uh, Person they need to call. When I was doing a bit of literature search, on how or what other resources available to improve the patient support, um, I found um, the pretty much all the literature they try to figure out the points where we can improve their social well being, and it says. Um, it's mental, imp- mental support, social support, and another interesting thing. I am not. Sh- I believe we don't talk about it that much. Actually, I came across this topic last year when I attended one of the conferences. Sexual health, uh, which is rarely talked about, in many of the literature it says many of the patients are really embarrassed, embarrassed when they start their journey in the first place because when we are talking about bladder cancer, we are talking about a very private part of a man or a woman and i believe this gets ignored many times and many patients according to those literature say like they feel embarrassed in the first place just thinking someone is going to look at their private parts or all the procedure that will involve will involve manipulating those private parts so these 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 discussions which m- probably doesn't make much sense to us as a doctor because we have been doing this every day but as a patient who is who doesn't have not much medical knowledge these small things means a lot to them Uh, but in our trust as I said we have got this excellent support group from the CNS but I believe we still can uh, organize a social support group um, which can liaise with us there should be a person of contact or key worker, which already is in place in NHS system, but it would be really nice if we can organize something in the community uh, so that they can reach the person uh, when they want.
2: Yeah, I think I just pick up on Palav's point there as well. That it's just, um, as you say, just so many things. Just people just don't have the confidence or feel empowered to speak to us as healthcare professionals about, and I think. The other thing that those forums will do is just uh create something that you know Hannah and her dad have found so useful, which is that community, the sense of you know someone else going through it as well, and that companionship of that journey and you know having multiple people there, people will feel more empowered to talk about things that are maybe slightly personal to them, things about sex and uh you know ongoing function after surgery or after chemotherapy or after bladder installations that people may have as well and i just think having a wider forum of people available will just really open up um support groups and help people feel more more happy with the journey that they're on
0: yeah uh, it sounds i agree completely so how do you begin to evaluate the effectiveness of of all these systems i mean how do you even put them in in place at, at the trust
3: um So we we, we can definitely start with uh, the forum we are talking about. As I said, we already have been doing this for different other cancers, but we have not started or we have not thought about it for bladder cancer. Um, And the way we can figure out the way we can do it is we already know the number of patients or the list of patients who have been diagnosed with bladder cancer and is going to have some form of treatment or follow up. Um, So, and again we have got quite effective system or efficient system uh to keep a track mm. of all those patients um so we 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 can bring the patients together
2: i think yeah i think uh one of the interesting things is that we have those at the moment for patients who have um typically are going for radical prostatectomies now the reasons that we do that is because having a prostate removed can really impact on patients' continence issues and also erectile function as well because the nerves run very close to the prostate. And really the benefit of those forums is that you educate men, you tell them what to expect so they're less unhappy afterwards, but also warn them about pelvic floor exercises, the need for pads, um, you taking a medication like Viagra afterwards to help stimulate erections. And not, on- those, uh, not only does that help um, in their recovery, but it also helps build expectations as well. Now, if we were to evaluate the the progress of that, you could probably objectify it quite simply by looking at uh, comparing people before and after the forum, looking at the number of pads they're using if they do go to the forum or afterwards, so how much they leak and erectile function as well. Now, bladder cancer is a little bit more difficult because obviously we're not measuring functional outcomes as such. We're really talking more about the symptom-based things. So I think evaluation would probably be more um subjective as you would say but you can formalize it a bit more with symptom-based uh questionnaire i suppose before and afterwards um that's something that we could do
0: and the mental health side of it as well i suppose yeah completely
2: to, to measure that yeah
0: hannah i think you're probably going to be um you've probably got loads of ideas about how from your own experience, about how you would improve the patient support. So what kind of, are you, and I've no doubt that you're not shy about making your voice clear uh, at your trust either. So what, what what suggestions have you put forward of your own?
1: Well, I think at the end of the day, this is, it's a, it's something that needs to kind of, be dim because i think you know you want to try and stop the stigma you want to try and give patients that you know that that understanding and knowing that you know they can come forward so for me you know these support groups are are really good obviously on the outside but we kind of need to have these running running within the hospital environment um I know that the I work with one of my other medical secretary colleagues and we put together all the packs and things for um the prostate cancer forum that runs um every other week on a Thursday. Um and the amount of information and documentation that is given out to the patients, I think that that gives people so much more understanding and takes away a lot of the the, the worry um obviously the they're not knowing it like I said earlier they're not knowing is the worst part um and obviously you know going in for a big operation you know it, it's a big thing you know people don't like the thought of being put to sleep going into general anaesthetic and you know it's, it's a scary process knowing that your your life before the surgery and then coming out after surgery um it the recovery time, the the way that you have to come to terms with this new life, it's it's a big deal. Um, so these support groups and these forums that um are already running for other, you know, for other cancers in the hospital, I think are very very beneficial, and I think bladder cancer is takes up a huge percentage of all urological cancers, alongside obviously your kidney cancers, your your prostate cancers and things. There's so much more research into those. And I think bladder cancer needs the same amount of resources and input. Um So yeah, maybe a forum that runs um, alongside the prostate forum, maybe every week that the prostate forum isn't running, there's one that's for the bladder cancer patients. Um, that offers understanding of chemotherapy, radiotherapy, even, you know, for, for the cancer patients that have got like the grade three, grade four, you know, going, going into the deeper, the deeper element of bladder cancer. I think, you know, that there should be a group that runs, that goes through all of the procedures that can be offered and the support. And I think for patients as well, knowing that they've got a key worker and someone that they can talk to, having that contact, and that you know building that sort of um professional relationship with your your doctor or your you know your cns it is a huge thing because like the like the doctors have said rustem and pallet they you know it's a really personal journey and it's not something that you really want to you really want to open up to everybody about um i think you know talking to your doctor can be hard enough the amount of patients I know that since I mean I run parkrun every week for example and there's been three or four people that have come over to me because I wear my bladder cancer um vest for running and people have come over to me and gone oh my gosh my my you know my husband or my uncle or my brother oh they've been diagnosed with bladder cancer what's kind of your story and being able to kind of open up about it and raise awareness so that other people feel that they can go to the GP and get referred into hospital and get checked will help so many more people in the long term to not die from this awful disease. You know, there'll be so much more life quality and people will just be able to live life as normal as they can whether they have to have you know life-changing surgery such as a cystectomy because I think people also think oh gosh having a bag that's really embarrassing but actually you know it, it, it's a new way of life but it's incredible that there is that option because I think my dad's my dad's um take on it is that basically what's better to have a bag than to lose your life like he keeps saying to me oh I'll have this bag yeah. and it will be like my bag of life you know he makes <laughs> jokes about it and he's he's got this he wants to get this cover for his stoma bag and it basically says nobody takes the piss better than me it, <laughs> it's really funny and I think you know that's his way of dealing with it and I think there's so many options out there and if people were able to sit in a room and have that discussion with a, um, a cancer nurse specialist and you know have that opportunity to open up and speak about any concerns and questions they've got it would just make life so much easier for a community of bladder cancer patients.
0: And talking about things is so important I mean like I can just imagine you with with the vest being a beacon for other people. It gives permission for other people to say, I, "Somebody I can talk to about this." Uh, somebody I can approach because it's out in the open. Definitely. And
1: definitely.
0: That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I uh, think. Rustam, um,
3: sorry for interruption. Um am oh, sorry. Uh, Obviously, when a patient gets diagnosed and gets treatment, they know that they have to go through all these. Um, all these faces which they may not probably would like to have like a catheter or a bag or a scar but he knows all the support group what they can do is help them to accept the fact because at the end of the day patient will accept it because uh, most of the time obviously most of the patient will prefer their life to not do anything but the support group can help them to accept the fact in a more uh, subtle way, so that they don't feel that much stress, which um, which which can actually make them very mentally stressed.
2: Yeah, and I think it's as you say, Palab, It's like it's validating it, isn't it? It's that someone else is going to go through it. Someone else has gone through it, and they've yeah. been fine. And you know, we can all talk about it. I mean, patients don't want to talk about things like that with Palab or I. I mean, <laughs> I yeah. think it's it's and certainly not in the moments where they want mm. you know their clinician to be there for them to talk to them about various other things because they they are time limited. A lot of the interactions that we yeah, have with patients, and uh, you know, no one wants to open up to their doctor and talk to them about sex and all these other things as well. Well, at least not to me. I don't. I don't. Know. The no, it's, it's, it's the same,
3: same, same with us. And it's not only the patient. Uh, uh, we also sometimes uh, do not ask these questions as a clinician because yeah. when we diagnose a cancer, we become very focused on that cancer. Like, we need to treat that. But obviously, yeah. this diagnosis comes with collateral, mental or emotional journey, which sometimes gets ignored.
0: And I, and I suppose, as you, as you both pointed out, when you're not always seeing the same patient, the same patient's not with you for their entire journey either. Yeah. So it's a difficult thing to suddenly go, I'm going to put everything into you and then oh, I've got to repeat it all to the next. Yep, that's true. And when
3: uh, you see a patient again and again, you also develop that rapport. So your interaction becomes yeah. really different because still we see some patients who, I mean, we see patients again and again who comes in clinic. And when you see a patient one or two times, next time when you see the patient and you, you can see the interaction is totally different. It's much more friendly. Patient is opening up with you. And the discussion becomes really, 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 the discussion becomes very precise, but both of you know that what you're talking about. And he, at at that point, the patient actually points to you like, doctor, I really want you to sort this thing out. I don't have to look for problem. He will tell me like, this is something bothering me. Can you please help me with this? So, but again, I think logistically it would not be possible for me or for any clinician to see the same patient again and again. But if there's a key person in between them, whether it's a formal key person in the NHS setup or hospital setup or informal key person in the community where they can
2: open up, that makes their life much more easy yeah i think the CNSs often get the the real benefit of that of that continued contact whereas yes i would say it's more unusual for us very occasionally you do get that follow-up i mean consultants often do because they're under their their name or care but um yes it's less less common for us which is a shame we'd love to see our love to see our patients again
0: so i guess um, i've got i've got just two more questions really but This all sounds a really straightforward, wonderfully straightforward path to to improving patient outcomes, but there must be some obstacles to this. Uh, So I wonder if you could kind of uh, outline a a couple of them for me.
3: Yeah, so the obstacles would be uh, to set up the whole thing. Uh, First, we need resources. Second, we need manpower. Uh, And third, we need uh, coordination between resources and manpower and with the existing manpower. Uh, Obviously, we all know that we are already stressed in NHS setup, it's very difficult to um, insert something new which would need more attention, but organizing a forum, I think we can do that. It doesn't need uh, extra money, I believe, from the healthcare support. What we need to make some space and, if we can appoint one of our specialist nurses or similar uh, person to coordinate between the patient to bring them, we can do that. Regarding if we want to set up a community level key person formally, that would be quite challenging, frankly speaking, and that would need a really great push from higher up. Within our department, we can consider what we can, as I said, forum things. Uh, From the patient perspective, um, online support group, those things are already there. So maybe we can help them to find out those social support group because obviously many of the patients, in case of Hannah, she probably knows that. But imagine a patient who is at his 70s or 60s and who doesn't, have that much access to internet or doesn't know how to use this internet. Uh, Obviously, he doesn't know any of this or she doesn't know any of this uh, forum. So that person will be probably left alone. His journey journey will be between doctors, hospitals and the patient. Uh,
2: I think one of the biggest barriers as well, following on from Palab, is is resource essentially. And the issue will be, I suspect going forward, it's a time and money resource now. We could ask one of the CNS team to see if they could do it, because they do that for the prostates at the moment, but our CNS team, you know, they work unbelievably hard, I have to say. Um, they are completely filled to the rafters with clinics, following up various other people, And so actually to get them to do an extra list will be very challenging, although there is obvious benefits. The, the other option would be is to create a new position. Uh, or something else or find a way to get funding for that uh, for an extra cns person but i think the difficulty with that would be is that you as we mentioned before is that you want objective outcomes how is this going to improve improve things and as i said before it's much easier with prostates because you can improve or show objective improvement in things like continence race and erectile function but more difficult for symptomatic and things or people would consider something maybe slightly softer, although that's probably not entirely true. Um, And then I guess the final thing is that, you know, it's the NHS and the NHS does trundle along relatively slowly. Um, We do have lots of good ideas and they do take a lot of traction to get off the ground. But I mean, as with all things in the NHS, fundamentally, it is just a resource, uh, resource issue a lot of the time um so we'll have to make the uh the business case for it I suppose and, and take things from there
1: I think as well just quickly I think as well what would really help in these sorts of forums is having somebody who um can offer a personal view on it so like if mm-hmm. for example there was somebody like myself obviously you know my job is very busy I am very you know I work for two really you know I work for Milan Thomas who's a kidney kidney spurt surgeon and he is the only kidney surgeon in our department and I also work for Pedgman Karandish who does all the andrology side of urology which is your erectile dysfunction and um, patients who are struggling with fertility issues due to obviously you know problems with the erectile dysfunction area side of things Um, but I think I'd be happy to even offer my own services in a way to kind of sit there and talk to these people and to kind of maybe have people that come in and actually offer their own experiences with it because I think that would really really help but again it's having the time and the the resourcing to be able to do it
0: yeah I mean you've kind of evolved kind of I think uh... Already answered this. But I usually end with uh, uh if you could make one change, what would it be? Um so let's 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 go through uh Palab would if you could make one change, what, what would it be?
3: Uh, I, I I would try to make the um forum official. I would really try to do that.
0: Yeah. Rustam.
2: I think uh if we're the forum would be fantastic. I think I would like an extra slot in between patients having, or just an extra 10 minutes, maybe for flexible Mm. after flexible cystoscopy to, to speak to patients and talk to them about everything that's going forward or after their diagnosis. I just think that extra time just to talk to people would be great, but it essentially comes down to the same thing, more resources and time to get that off the ground. Of course, and Hannah.
1: Again, you know, having gone through it in a personal, um, in a personal stance, I think you know, being able to offer my my personal you know, understanding towards other people. I mean, obviously, I speak to a lot of patients every day and I do my very best to make every person's journey from a medical secretary side of things as easy as it can be. Um, I do struggle with the sense of, you know, there isn't always enough time in the day to give yourself to every single patient. But I think, you know, again, like Palab, if we can get this forum lifted and going forward can have something running so that people can have that support and that understanding i think it would just make you know the bladder cancer world within the nhs so much more beneficial and give people that 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 support
0: well I've no doubt between the three of you that the, you've got the determination and the, and the and the will to do it so it'll i can see it being a success thanks very much for today it's been absolutely wonderful and and emotional as well, uh, to be honest. Uh, that's all we've got time on for. I'm going to let you all go now. Uh, and it's been, it's been fantastic. But if anybody's listening out here who wants to join me on a future episode, then you can email podcast at amat.co.uk. Uh, it's a platform for absolutely anybody involved. Uh, to come and talk to me about the things that interest you and challenge you and how to, to lead to, to better patient outcomes. So please subscribe and share wherever you can. And thanks very much for listening.